Amen, indeed. Thank you. Uh, please stand and join me as we read our, our sermon scripture this morning. God's word is given to us from Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, as Pastor Andrew uh, continues our series in Romans. Listen to these words. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according, differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father God, uh, again, it's so good to be here together and uh, we just anticipate hearing from you through your word we're so grateful that you've revealed yourself to us in that way, in that special way. And I, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit's leading. Um, would you humble us and illuminate our hearts and minds that we would truly be able to listen and absorb your truth this morning? Uh, and likewise, Lord, I pray for Pastor Andrew that uh, your spirit work in his heart and his mind and you would enable him to communicate your word clearly. And Lord, I just pray as a result of that wonderful combination of the work of your spirit and the proclaiming of your word and truth, that we would go away different, that we would be transformed in some way, renewed in our desire to obey and serve you out of sense of joy and gratitude. We thank you for this, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We're all out of practice, our sound guys, you know, we're getting back into practice. It's so good to, to be together just to see, you know, so many of the same things in church, uh, but also different things. Uh, Aaron's joining us, she and her family uh, moved here over the summer, uh, obviously using her gifts already in terms of viola. Um, and uh, just to be together. Just FYI, as we, as we come together, we, we set the congregation for 80 seats uh, at these services, just trying to figure it out. You know, once we got people in, what it would look like, we may add a few seats to that, so when you sign up. But we are always leaving space for visitors to come or, you know, people who forgot to sign up. So if you have people that you want to bring with you to church and you're like, wow, we didn't sign up, it's a, you bring them along. We'll, we'll figure out a way to, to put them in. We're, we're making uh, allowance for that. I had a love-hate relationship uh, with church growing up, at least going to church. I loved, I, I didn't, I, well, I should say, I, I loved church. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to grow up in a Bible-believing home. My parents took me to church. I'm very grateful for the Christian education that I received along the way, uh, both in church and at school. 
What I hated about church was church clothes. I just did not like that. I grew up in a very formal environment, and so uh, I was wearing ties, and uh, just, I just, I'm not, I'm a rather casual person by nature, and this was a very formal setting, so I would get home and, you know, rip that thing off, and then you had to hang up your pants, right, you know, so that they didn't get wrinkled, and None of that was really in my wheelhouse, and I, I, I got it. I mean, I, I understand we're going into the presence of the Lord, and we want, if you were going to meet the president, you, you would dress up for that or another dignitary. I, I understood all of the, the reasoning why my parents pushed me in that direction, and our church came together in that direction, but I always had a problem with authenticity because I'm like, okay, I've got these nice church clothes on on the outside, but on the inside, I know that I am. I'm not happy about this, and I'm rebelling against that. So am I really being honest uh, putting on the church clothes? And, you know, there's always that tension in the Christian life between what we see and then what's going on on the inside. And I want to use sort of that idea as we walk through this passage in Romans chapter 12, 3 to 8, uh, because there are certain things that we see with regards to the church, and I saw uh, that capital C, God's people, uh, the, the church universal. Uh, there are certain things that we, we see with regards to the church, but then we also want to get to what's going on on the inside. We want to move to the heart, to the motivation, and, and particularly with this idea of the church as being... The, the body, the ones that God has chosen to subvert the empire. Uh, we've been talking about that a little bit. You know, that's, that's what Romans is about. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to the gospel of Caesar, which was so prevalent in, in the church in Rome. And, and what we said last week uh, was this idea that the embodied will of God life so, according to God's will that He's revealed to us in His Word, embodied not just a spiritual thing, but something that we actually do as we live out in the world, it, it subverts the empire with sacrificial living. What does that look like? How, how do we begin to understand that? And that's where we're going to be really the next six or seven weeks. It's this question that we're going to keep answering as, uh, as Paul goes through various things. And this morning where he starts is with this idea of the church itself being made up of many members with different gifts. And so I want to walk us through this passage, Romans 12, 3 to 8, and we're actually going to go backwards. We're going to start with the church as we see it, as we see it described in verses 6 to 8, and then we'll go to the church as it is, verses 4 and 5, and then what is at the heart of it, the church at its heart, uh, verse so verses 6 to 8, we have one of the gift lists that we receive in the Scriptures. We find them in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I don't think that any of the gift lists are comprehensive. They're, they're always examples of various things. And even if you take them all together, you have about 17 or 19 different gifts laid out depending on how you count them. I don't even think those are comprehensive of every sort of gift that is given to us in the Scriptures. Uh, so 
What can we say about this? Well, Paul is, is talking now, again, remember, these are small groups of Christians that maybe are gathering in a household, gathering in the catacombs in Rome, uh, and they're being read this letter. And, and what Paul is saying to them is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, he has made us into a people that operate in different ways. And one of the things you have to recognize is that all of you have gifts. All of you uh, have ways in which you have been uh, made uniquely in the image of God and you have something to contribute to the body. And, and then he begins to give us some ideas of places where we can look, where we see those gifts being manifest. Now, however you uh, look at the gifts, I think that there's probably uh, different taxonomies, different ways that we can divide these. I, I want to use this idea, prophet, priest, king. We all reflect Jesus. Jesus fulfilled these three offices for us, prophet, priest, king, uh, the office of prophet uh, where he was the word of God, the office uh, a priest where he was the sacrifice, uh, and Lord Jesus is obviously our king. He directs, he defends and protects us from all his and our enemies, all of these different things. So Jesus does that perfectly. We also, following in the train of Jesus, uh, carry out these gifts of prophet, priest, and king. However, we don't do them all perfectly. Uh, we do them imperfectly, and I would argue that we sort of are predisposed to one of the offices maybe over the other. So some of us uh, have, as Paul says here, prophetic gifts, gifts of teaching, of prophecy. And, and when he says prophecy, probably does not mean sort of a divine foretelling that hasn't been otherwise revealed. He talks about it in proportion to the faith. So he's talking about, really he's talking about preaching, you know, sort of this spirit-filled utterance that's in alignment with the Word of God. So we have these prophetic gifts within the church. Then other people have priestly gifts. When I think of the priestly gifts, I think of the gifts that intercede on behalf of another. Uh, whether it's offering a sacrifice or offering a prayer, uh, you see these types of gifts here in, in this list as well. Uh, giving, acts of mercy, uh, hospitality, and other lists comes in. And then there are kingly gifts. Uh, kingly gifts, gifts of administration, gifts of, uh, of leading that we see here. I think serving, as we see it here, is probably a kingly gift. That's the term diakonoi. Uh, from which we get deacon, and, and we saw in Acts chapter 6 when that kind of office was established that uh, this was a, a gift of administration. Like there were, there were uh, widows that needed to be served, and, and therefore we needed to put people in who could administer the, 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 the distribution to particularly the Hellenistic widows in, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 6. So you have these, these various gifts, and we are all needed. 
Uh, that's what Paul is saying. As we, as we experience the body, you see that there is this different division of gifts because there is a labor that is all needed. Tim Keller, uh, just in laying out this passage, tells kind of a humorous story of his first few days as a pastor in Hopewell, Virginia, which is where he was before he went to New York. Hopewell was a small, uh, more blue-collar agricultural town. And his first week on the job, he had these different people stop by, and the first one stopped by, and he's like, you know, Pastor, the problem with this church, do you see that trailer park over there, which was apparently across from the, the church? The problem is, none of those people know Jesus, and we need to get over there, and we need to tell them about Jesus. And he nodded along and said, okay. The next day, somebody stopped by the church, saw his car out front, whatever. And uh, you know the problem with this church, Pastor? You see that trailer park over there? Uh, None of those people have experienced the love and compassion of Christ. We need to get over there and and show them the love and compassion of Christ. And uh, the next day, uh, as he tells the story, somebody stops by and he uh, says, you know the problem with this church, Pastor? And uh, he's like, well, I can guess. <laughs> uh, you see that trailer park over there? He said, you know, every couple of years we get this hair that we need to go and be Christ to that trailer park, but we can never sustain it because we can't get organized in, in actually ministering to them. And he said, This is an example of of how we need the body. There are certain people oriented to uh, tell, to evangelism. There are certain people oriented to caring. And then there are certain people oriented to organizing. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, this is the church at its best. All of its gifts being used. All of its gifts employing, because there is a world out there, there is a trailer park that both needs to hear, needs to be interceded for, and we need to do that in a way that is orderly and sustainable and all of these things. So we, we desperately need everybody to use their gifts, and that's what Paul is saying. You've been given a gift, use it. But you say, I don't, I don't know what my gift is. Just an observation here. Uh, you know, there is a sense in which gifts are intrinsic to us. You, some of it has to do with our personality. Uh, some of us are, are more outgoing. Others of us are, are very structured and organized in terms of the way that we go about life. And, and you can sort of see what some of your gifting is. There was a, a time in, in recent church memory where you know, spiritual gifts tests were a big thing and people would take them and you could define your spiritual gifts. The problem with that is there are good things about that. And you know, if you, if you are really struggling with that, I, I would love to sort of talk about that with you and maybe work at helping to discover. The problem with that is, is that we can never pigeonhole ourselves. You know, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, you might very well be called to share the good news uh, with somebody who's in your family. You, you can't eliminate yourself because you say, I don't have that gift. You know, there are certain things that are chores uh, within the body of Christ. Like, 
I don't have the, the gift of, of nursery. Well, nursery's got to get done. And, and so whether you have the gift of that or not may determine whether you teach Sunday school, but you may still have to take your time in nursery even if it doesn't get done. The other thing about it is, is that sometimes our gifts are latent until somebody else points them out to us. I mean, this is one of the things that's so interesting about this is this is Paul talking to the community. And the community helps us to see our gifts. And sometimes it's just born out of need, too. We need somebody to, uh, to organize this thing. Well, I don't know. I've never done that before. Well, I think that you could do a good job with that. And sure enough, you find that you have the gift of administration because somebody else has seen that in you. So gifts are both intrinsic and developed. Uh, you remember Elijah and Elisha. Uh, I don't know that Elisha thought that he was particularly gifted to be the next prophet of Israel, but Elijah came and threw his cloak on him while he was plowing the field and said, yeah, you, you're called. So the community uh, recognizes it, and then Elisha stepped into it. The last thing that I'll just note about the gifts is that these are the products of what God has done in us, not the pathway to a right relationship with God. Uh, so Paul is calling us here to employ, to use our gifts. Uh, but he is not saying that in terms of earning favor with God. Remember, this is in view of Christ's mercy. Because of what Christ has done for us, use these gifts. And, and that's where I think the passage continues to lead us as we recognize how it's coming to us. Because earlier, what Paul has said in verses 4 and 5 is that we, we see the church with this diversity of gifts because this is who the church is. The church is... Uh, this idea of a, of a university. Some of you know the origins of this term. University has to do with unity and diversity. Uh, and the idea with original universities uh, in the United States was that theology was the center, was the queen discipline, and then all these other disciplines came out of that. So there was a unity and diversity. It just doesn't work anymore because everybody's become so fragmented and so separate that each discipline is its own thing, and there's really not any unity in diversity. But this is what Paul says the church is. The church is a, a unity in diversity. You see how he says it, uh, for as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Uh, Paul is saying, like, this is a reality. Uh, this isn't something that you can... Uh, that you can move towards. This isn't necessarily something that you can uh, get rid of. Uh, this is who you are. Now, he's speaking, of course, of, of a reality that doesn't always exist by what we see it, 
but it's a reality that heaven sees. So when you know, heaven, so to speak, looks out and, and sees the church, capital C, it recognizes that there are people in India and in North Korea, there are, there are men and there are women, there are elderly people, there are young kids, there, there are all sorts of people from all different types of ethnic, socioeconomic, gender, age. There is this huge diversity that exists that we call the church, but there is a unity in that because they are members of Christ and then also then as extension, members of one another. My point here, and I think Paul's point here, is that we use our gifts, we serve one another, we serve the church, because this is an expression of who we are, period. Uh, what I meant earlier when I said we can't develop this, uh, we can certainly allow the expression of this to come up, but it, it, it is. We are a unity in diversity. We do belong to one another. We are members of one another. Now, we have to press into this and, and understand it a little bit more. And I think Paul is certainly challenging the church in Rome. Remember, this is Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, men, women, all of which were seriously divided in the Roman culture. Like they did not come together nicely uh, at that particular point. But Paul is saying you are one. Uh, you belong to one another. Uh, and he, he's really, this is, you know, what we say, subverting the empire. He's very countercultural in this because this idea of unity and diversity is so difficult to, to hold together. Nowadays, especially, I mean, we've just had this caricature. We see it in politics. We see it in social groups. We see it in so many different ways. Unity means uniformity. Uh, you are pushed to, you think the same, and, and you, you can't, with very little nuance in our conversation, we saw that in the debate recently, unity means like this is your party, this is where you are, you are uniform in the way that you go. Diversity doesn't have any tones of, of really... Uh, coming together and appreciating one another, there's divisiveness with that, there's jealousy, there's competition. And, and so Paul is giving a very different picture of the church than they experience it in Rome and then we experience it here. But again, my, my point is, is that this is how it is. And, and so when we talk about, I, I remember this was a number of years ago in, in St. Louis. Um, the President Bush, uh, Barbara Bush, actually came to our local high school, and, and she was talking with uh, some of the students there asking about their, their value system and what was so important. And, and to a person, each of, the, each of the kids said that the most important value was tolerance. Uh, to tolerate one another. And, and what, what Paul is saying here is something different uh, than tolerance. 
He's saying you belong to one another. Uh, you, you, uh, it's not just that we as a church come together with different people and we, we tolerate each other. Uh, but what Paul is saying is you are members of each other and therefore we, we need each other. You know, we need the different perspectives that we bring. We need the different gifts that we have to offer. We, we need the different weaknesses that people have. We need the different strengths that people have. There is an ontological reality with belonging to one another. Now, we can express it more, but we can never make it more real than it actually is. I hope that makes some sense to you. It made some sense to me at some point during this week. Uh, but I, I think it's really important that we, that we see the distinction between what we are as opposed to trying to make us unified. Does that make sense? And a lot of it goes back to sort of the heart of what Paul is talking about uh, at its heart, that we are responding to something that Christ has done in us. This is how he starts this section, and again, this is rolling off uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, where Paul has said, in view of God's mercies, I am urging you, I'm beseeching you, brothers, fellow sinners, uh, I am beseeching you to live a life uh, that's not conformed, but that's transformed by the renewal of our mind. He goes on to say, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here Paul is saying something very similar to what he says in Philippians 2. You remember Philippians 2 where Paul says, Do not let anyone think more highly of himself than he ought, but let us have the mind of Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. So very similar to what Paul is saying. Uh, and he's calling us to a response that is uh, humble, uh, responding to the grace that God has given to us. Now, how many of you, th can you raise your hand? How, how many of you think that humility is a good thing? I mean, I would say that most of us here think, and, and we respond, right, negatively when we see somebody who's really brash, narcissistic, you know, not humble, proud, that kind of thing. We, we, kind, of, uh, we, we kind of pull back against that. That's the reason why we are all so much in favor of humility is because we live in a Christianized, you know, post-Christian society. In Rome, humility was not a value. Uh, it, was not, it was not a virtue. Uh, in fact, it was for the weak. It was for the outcasts. It was for the plebes, for the slaves. Like, those were the humble people, but the people who were successful were proud, those types of things. So, what Paul is saying here is subversive to the empire. I mean, he, he's, he's putting forth a, a way of life, a way of thinking that, that is counter-cultural to where they were at that particular time and how they lived. But what Paul is saying here is this is the right standard the proper measure by which you can assess yourself. 
So you see the passage here, the, the phrase, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this trip some people up. What is, what is Paul saying here? Like, I, I should think about myself, uh, you know, sort of commensurate with the amount of faith that I have. Is that what he means by measure? And the answer to that, or at least my answer would be, I don't think that's what Paul means by measure here. Here he uses the term, the, the metron, uh, metron pistis, the metron, the metron of faith. It's the word that we get meter from. So the meter is a, is a unit, it's a standard by which we judge our faith. And so what Paul is saying here is you don't judge yourself based on how much faith you have or how little faith you have, but you, you measure yourself against the standard of the faith that has been delivered to you, which we see in the first 11 chapters of uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans. And, and what we see in those chapters is what we've talked about so often, what we talked about last week, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that because of God's great mercy, we've been given the free gift of salvation, we've been united to Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit, and we now cry, Abba, Father, you know, as sons and daughters of the Holy Spirit. So this is the way that we are to view ourselves, and when we properly view ourselves this way, if this is the sober judgment that we are using to view ourselves, we are going to be in a position with the right motivation and the right enablement to really love other people to really move towards them, uh, recognizing the common bond that we have as sinners, recognizing the great grace that we have as those who are redeemed, and we can really, truly love other people. Now, this is not original to me, but I, I think you can observe that when we come to a disagreement with folks, whether they are our spouse or whether they are close friends or people in our family, or whether they are people, you know, different political party from us, our, our president, you know, the, the presidential nominee that is opposing them, we, we can come to a place where we just feel so much antipathy, we feel so much anger, so much frustration with that person. But part of the reason why we're not able to move closer to them is that we haven't judged ourselves with sober judgment. You know, we, we haven't seen ourselves through that lens of the gospel that says you're more broken and wretched than you ever would have believed, but you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever would have dared hope. And, and, and so part of what we feel when we, we come up against those people is that they need Jesus more than we do. And, and, and then we, we look down on them and we, it's hard for us to, to draw close to them. But if we really believed that we needed Jesus just as much as they did, which is the truth, right? Which is the absolute gospel truth that we are all in need of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Then we would have the sober judgment that leads us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And we can move forward with them 
We don't have to agree with everything that they say, but we can move forward with a spirit of love as opposed to a spirit of hostility. So, here's what Paul uh, is encouraging us. He says, you have your church clothes on, right? You, you've got all of this uh, appearance. You've got these various gifts that you're using within the body. But what's important still is not only that you wear your church clothes, but that you have the right heart underneath them, the right motivation. And you will only get that as you realize uh, the, the great grace, the proper measure of the gospel as it has come to you. And so that's my great prayer for us as a community, that we would be a community that is exercising gifts, but that we wouldn't be just doing it for show, we wouldn't be just doing it uh, out of duty or compulsion. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, but that we would do it because we are so aware of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. In a minute, we're going to uh, gather your coats and everything, and, and let's go outside uh, and gather around the island. The sun has come out a little bit and celebrate the unity that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let me pray. Uh, musicians will begin to play some music as we exit out, and we will join and complete our service outside. Father, we are so grateful for this word, uh, as it comes to us, the challenge of, of unity and diversity, the, the reality of who we are in Christ, the invitation to be that more and more. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to do that, help us to do it in the name of Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.